Greetings and welcome, all you weary travelers and thirsty adventurers and potentially plague-ridden and likely homebound citizens. Uh, my name is Dustin Sipes. I'm your dungeon master, your podcast host, and you may be wondering what the hell happened to our original D20-somethings adventure. We hit a stroke of difficulty. We had some audio that didn't quite turn out right due to human error. We had some work schedule changes. All sorts of things got in the way. That's why you haven't heard from us in a while. But uh, considering the times as they stand right now, we could definitely use some escapism. And we figured you could too. So we're passing some of that on to you. This campaign's going to have a few differences. We're using Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition as the gaming system rather than Pathfinder. And rather than my uh, <clears throat> my own homebrewed masterpiece of a campaign setting, if I do say so myself, uh, we're going to be using Dungeons & Dragons Eberron setting, which has always been one of my favorites. It's masterfully put together. So stay safe, stay well, wash your hands, wear your mask, practice social distancing, you know the drill by now, and welcome back to the world of Eberron. This is Quarantine Quest. Eberron. It is a world in three parts. The dragon above, the dragon below, and the dragon between. In the first ages of the world, it is said, the void and the heavens played host to the first ancient dragons, titan and impossibly powerful great worms who created all there is to know and all there is to see. The greatest among these ancient shapers were Sybaris, Kyber, and Eberron. Sybaris danced through the void, setting the stars in their places. Kyber prowled behind, consuming stars nearly as fast as Sybaris placed them. And Eberron sang, apart from the others, and life sprouted into the void. His world was one great shining creation, waiting for life to grace its surface and gaze upon all the glory they had made. Eventually, Sybaris turned to confront Kyber, to stop the dragon from devouring the stars that she had put in the sky for the coming life. The two fought, tearing at each other in their hatred, but at last Kyber arose victorious, as Sybaris was shattered into a million fragments. The last of her bones can still be seen circling the sky above Eberron today. Kyber's bloodlust was not slaked. He wheeled next upon Eberron, but where Kyber lunged, Eberron snaked aside and around. No more blood was spilled. But the battle continued on and on tearing Eberron's creation from one great mass into many, many continents, floating separated by vast oceans, created by the tears of the other worms, and impossibly high mountain ranges from where the tails of the dragons snaked in between the land and tore it asunder. Eventually, Kyber grew tired and Eberron enfolded and imprisoned him deep beneath the surface of his creation. He then laid himself down and made himself one with the world he had breathed life into. And so the world was born. The bones of Sybaris 
glinting in the sky above, Eberron forming its surface, and Kyber deep below. Every continent that drifted apart in the Great War of the Dragons now carries life abundant and wonders to behold. There's Corvair, a great sprawling testament to ingenuity and prowess among the sentient races. There is Aranol, the land of the deathless elves. Argonesson, in which the last of the dragons, descendants of Sybaris herself, sit and unravel the tapestry of all things. There is Frostfell, the frozen wastelands to the north, where ice giants and other terrors roam the spaces that no one else can withstand. Kyber, also known as the Underdark, is a great mirror world set in caverns and dark places far below the ground upon which other feet walk. Sarlona is the place where the dreamers live, descendants of humans and the people of Dalcor, the realm of dreams. It is a place of great mystery where none of the ancient dragon's power can be found. And Zendrik, home to the ancient and now desolate giant empires, teems with new and strange life and holds more mysteries than any other place in the world. Our adventure begins on the continent of Corvair. It was formerly split into five nations, each vast and powerful, governed by one of the descendants of the line of Galifar. The kingdom of Galifar lived in relative harmony and peace, and great innovations were made. All was well, until what is known as the Last War. The spark that began the Last War was the unexpected death of King Jarot of Galifar's line. Three of Jarot's children, Thalen of Thrain, Caius of Carnath, and Rowan of Breland, rejected their eldest sibling's rightful claim to the throne. The other two nations fervently upheld Galifar's line of succession. Once begun, the last war endured for a hundred years. What began as a battle between two relatively unified alliances quickly dissolved into bloody chaos. Alliances were forged and broken countless times, and before the war had ended, the kingdom of Galifar and each of its constituent nations were sundered and turned against each other. Eventually, the Treaty of Thronehold was signed. Twelve sovereign nations now split the continent of Corvair, and they stand as such today. While peace currently reigns, all of the problems and grievances that came forward during the last war remain. Old wounds and lingering resentments, ongoing struggles, desperate competition, secret deals and double crosses. These factors and more leave the threat of another great war looming on the horizon. And some believe it is only a matter of time before such a conflict erupts across the land once again. Whether it is war, 
Whether it is the ancient arcane mysteries, or whether it is the machinations of Kyber lurking deep below, Eberron is a world that has never stopped changing, and change it will again. I would like you all to roll your first d20, digital or otherwise, of the campaign. And go ahead and type your results into the Discord box. Alright, so that is everybody's results. So we begin with Chuck's character. Remind me of your name. It's Bjorn? Bjorn? Torn? Torn? Bjorn? Torbjorn. Turdborn. Torn. <laughs> you can just also call me. Let's, we can do Barrelman as well. Just call me Barrelman. Barrelman. Yeah, you know, I like I like Torbjorn. I just had to get it all straightened out in my in my nog. All right, so Torbjorn, Chuck, you told me to kind of put you where it fit for now. So yeah, one of the twelve independent nations are the Holds of Mror, spelled M R O R. It's really hard to pronounce, and it's the stupidest name ever, but. Uh, one of the twelve continents is the Holds of Mror. High in a incredibly dense mountain network uh, lie the independent dwarven holds of Mror. While many races are integrated, the region is primarily dwarves, formerly up to twenty warring colonies. As the uh, last war erupted, the uh, the dwarves slowly banded together into a single alliance that, when the Treaty of Thronehold was signed, gained sovereignty as a nation. Um, the Dwarves of Mror are basically bankers. Um, obviously, they have a lot of the Dwarven heritage. They're miners. They have great cities built into the stone. You know, they're everything you expect Dwarves to be. But as such, they also have a economy centered very much around treasure. So the lords of the... The lords of the various dwarf holds in Muror are very, very, very wealthy. Um, you are descended from the house of Beryl, uh, or Berylman, as your surname has come to be. You have been sent from the holds of Muror by your family uh, to the nation of Breland. Um, in Breland is Sharn, the city of towers one of the entire continent of Corvair's greatest marvels. Um, you are being sent to uh, find a patron from one of the uh, great houses. There are nine what are known as dragon-marked houses in Eberron. Um, the dragon marks started appearing up to several thousand years ago in races other than dragons, and each of them gave specific sets of magical powers to those who received the mark. Um, they've basically become merchant houses, vending various services across the continent of Corvair. So, uh, you have been sent to, uh, try to find a patron from House Caneth, the House of Making, as a lot of the dwarves have begun working, um, towards marvels of artificing. They're now looking for ways 
other than, uh, you know, hammers and weapons to use their iron and mithril and such. So uh, if you can gain the favor of a member of House Caneth and convince them to move more presence into the holds of Mror, uh, you guys can start having a significant edge up on the competition. And one thing all of you should know is that there is a sense of competition no matter what nation you're from. Uh, Some nations vie for peace, some nations uphold it begrudgingly, but all of them seem, in some way or another, to have an undercurrent of ambition. It it seems like somehow, somewhere deep down, everybody is still vying for the throne, whether they mean to or not. So, you have been sent to uh, Sharn, the City of Towers. They're uh, having an initiation ceremony for Morgrave University... Uh, the third best university in Corvair, but definitely not to be scoffed at. And um, a lot uh, members of all nine dragon-marked houses will be there, uh, including House Caneth, who will bring a very strong presence. So uh, you're to attend the Morgrave University uh, initiation slash showcase graduation. They basically do it all in one big ceremony that I just made up. So uh, describe yourself a little bit. Um... I am short, stocky, dark brown haired dwarf. It's like really neatly braided. Uh, and just a bunch of braids. I've got a battle axe that um, is like really shiny. It's got like jewels kind of encrusted in the in the handle and stuff. Just kind of, it's a little fancy, a little for show. It's definitely, I, like, look more badass than I really am. <laughs> and uh, remind me, you're a, you're a fighter? Yeah, I'm a dwarf fighter. Okay. Uh, a nice-looking fighter. Excellent. Uh, blue and white, uh, sometimes with yellow or gold inlay, are the colors of your house. Um, the, the, the symbol for your house can look however you'd like it to. Um how, how do you feel about being sent by your family on this delegation? Um, I, I feel probably pretty good. I probably haven't had anything else really to do. Um, so they want to send me out to make use of me, and I don't really notice that it's maybe a bad thing. Um, but I'm excited to, you know, go do my family strong and honor. Hell yeah. And you're setting off to... To do your house proud, um, your father made sure to, uh, you know, impart on you how how important this was for furthering the uh, the strength of the nation of the holds of Mror, and uh, mostly from what you've gathered sitting in on council meetings. Um, as all the are are you a male or female dwarf? Or male. okay, um, as all the firstborn sons of each uh, clan head are. Uh, permitted to do. Setting in on the council meetings, you've heard a lot of talk about using these newfound um, artificers' talents for machines of war. So you don't know how to feel about that, but you are going to make your family fucking proud because you're excellent. I want to stress again, all of you are filthy fucking rich. Um, All of your families are. Um, And this is a dynamic that I'm going to have all of you use. Each of you has either a national or house voucher that you carry around with you. You have a stack of them. um, And basically, each of those vouchers counts as a credit card. Um, 
You have it, it's it goes for a certain amount of gold, and I will uh, roll for that at a later date. Um, but basically, you can give a voucher to each merchant you come across, and it essentially counts like a line of credit. Um, it's up to you guys how much you want to abuse Daddy's credit card, but um, know that if you accrue too much debt and never actually pay it up, whether from your family, a merchant, or places you might never expect, there can be unforeseen consequences. For dope mechanic, I appreciate that immensely. Thank you. one question. Do I happen to have these things, or am I lacking at the moment? Tomas, Tomas got some vouchers for you. D20. Holy shit. Each of you has 19 vouchers. Um, So if you come across a merchant and you don't have enough gold to buy something up to a certain limit, which I will keep in my head, you can use one of these vouchers to spend that amount of money. Um, But keep in mind, that's a rolling line of credit. Let's see who was next. So, Oren. You are uh, coming into this story from the nation of Karnath. Um, formerly one of the underdogs of the last war, Karnath, through their king making a, a questionable pact with a uh, an order called the Blood of Vol, um, and a militant order called the Order of the Emerald Claw, gained the power to create incredibly advanced undead, um, and thus turned the tide in Karnath's favor. Uh, by raising their soldiers uh, before bringing in new ones. Uh, so Undeath has a long history and uh, normalized presence in Karnath, um, which you, as a wizard specializing in necromancy, are able to take advantage of. Karnath is a very proud, very old nation with a very militarized history. And as we discussed before, your family is very high up in the the councils of Karnath. So your father, uh, coming from a long, long military line, um, has ever since you were little been very fixated naturally and almost beyond naturally on a military life and military achievements. And as soon as you displayed the talent of necromancy somewhere in your your blood, uh, he insisted that this was a great opportunity for your family and that they needed to foster that talent and that you could find a, a great place in the the military necromancers of Karnath. And, uh, yeah, how do you... How did you feel about that when you were, you know, probably, like, what, 12? Um, considering the character, I would probably feel just very antsy about it. There's a lot of expectations to become well to become a well-off wizard and a very powerful one of that okay you know, it's a one that would command the young death and all that stuff but I think my character would probably be just not rebellious to the idea but more of like can, can I just study can I just figure myself out kind of thing all right uh, so due to that your studies haven't always been as top-notch as your you know, Ruler to the knuckles, you're going to get straight A's father would have liked. Um, thus, when entrance exams came for the two most notorious universities in Corvair, the names of which I forget, and I'm not going to spend five minutes looking up in the Eberron source book, 
Um, you did not quite pass those, but you did get into the still very prestigious Morgrave University. They have the second largest library in all of Corvair, um, and a good number of very notable arcane scholars has come from Morgrave University. Um, and with a looser structure and less pressured expectations than some of the other colleges, it is probably going to fit you a lot better. Um, so sent by your your stern but still mostly approving father, uh, you have set out for the city of Sharn to attend Morgrave University. Um, so describe yourself a little bit. What you about, son? Um, definitely, you know, kind of fit the necromancer profile, dressed in black. Um, I've got a, a shillelagh staff. Okay. Essentially, so big, kind of clubbish, you know, with a nice little skull carved into the front. Um, definitely awkward, inquisitive, you know, most of the time this person will have his nose stuck in a book. You know, spectacles, fair hair, elf, so tall, lithe, not very strong, has a good eye with a bow, but that's about it as far as the physical. Alrighty. Um, and do you have a mount of any sort? Um, no. Okay. So you are probably, you are probably riding what is known as the lightning rail. Um, one thing you guys will find out about Eberron is that it's about, it's about the closest to a steampunk setting that an official D&D setting has. Um, human and gnome and dwarven and every race is every civilized quote-unquote race's ingenuity um, combined with incredibly, incredibly rich arcane roots all throughout the entire world of Eberron, um, as well as the ingenuity of the dragon-marked houses and the use of uh, dragon shards, another thing you'll learn about, has created a lot of really cool things. Um, one of the houses runs a mailing system, for example. They handle courier ship all throughout the Twelve Nations, but also, for a fee... You can basically teleport or telephone messages through crystals to people in other cities. Um, there are also airships. Uh, recently, gnomes have figured out, and then other races began to figure out, the art of elemental binding. Um, so bound elementals uh, have created everything from, you know, small speedboat galleys to airships to submarines. And one of the most famous and notable achievements along this vein is the lightning rail. And it is basically a speed train that runs along rails of arcane lightning. There are conductor stone networks set up all across the Twelve Nations. Um, there are some places where the lightning rail doesn't go, obviously, but it goes between most major metropolises. And uh, so that is probably how you are getting to Sharn, is riding the good old lightning rail. Once you get there, Oren, like, what is what is your first goal going to be? Like, are you going to start making connections? Do you want to head straight for the library? What's going to be your mode of things at Morgrave University? Honestly, for that, I think I would go straight to the library. It would be something that my character would be so excited Excellent. to go to and just see. All right, so that is Lord Nero. What was your last name? Uh, Thaddeus Wraith. Excellent. And now we get to the sisters. So Kara's character, Jimena, and um, Mary's character, remind me of your name? Uh, Kalida. <laughs> Kalida. 
Um, are sisters of the same house who, uh, whose name I will remember as soon as I open this document. Uh, House Galanodel. Um, these are the only players from outside of the continent of Corvair. They come from the continent of Arenal, uh, a collection of elves, a very reclusive society uh, that revels in the glories of death. Um, very unlike how you picture traditional elves, uh, the elves of Arenal have a culture very centered around death. The line between life and death and the progression thereto is sacred. Um, the most unnerving thing that most people find about the elves of Arenal, the most natural thing to them, is what is called the Undying Court and the Deathless. Once even the great immortal lifespan of elves is over, or almost over, uh, great warriors, scholars, philosophers, and politicians, uh, the heads of great houses who have accomplished great things among the elves of Arenal become what is known as Deathless, in which they are essentially positive energy created undead. Uh, they live for eternity. Uh, the Deathless, or the, the Undying Court, made up entirely of Deathless, um, advises every bit of royalty, house, pol political decisions, um, and a lot of them have been alive for upwards of ten to 12,000 years. There are uh, houses that, you know, tattoo their faces uh, kind of like sugar skulls in emulation of death. Uh, house Jorlaine, one of the greatest houses, has gone so far as to take alchemical means to make themselves look like zombies or mummified, even while they're alive, in order to glorify the passage into death. Now, these two sisters uh, don't always get along. It all traces back to a time when Kalita, through, you know, the the cryptic leaving of a, a map in her sister's room. Kalita was always a little weird. Um, and left a cryptic map in her sister's room leading to her secret hiding place. An enormous uh, redwood tree that separated the line between their property, quote-unquote, the end of their lands, and the beginning of the next house's lands. And at a very young age... Uh, which one of you is the older sister, by the way? I think... Uh... Kalita is the older sister. Okay. That sound reasonable to you? Yeah. You poor hungstrung baby. So. I've had you picking on me from the day I was born. <laughs> I don't know if I'd actually pick on you. I think I just kind of let you rough it and you kind of resent that. <laughs> you guys, we haven't even started role playing yet and you guys are already arguing. Alright. Um, anyway. So Jimena came to the tree, and there was an enormous split in its trunk, big enough for, you know, a small hideout to be there. And when she went into the crack in the trunk, Kalida proudly presented their family dog. Their family dog had died a week ago. It wasn't dead anymore. Kalida had brought the family dog back to life, and mostly wanted to see, uh, partially proud of herself and partially just wanting to see her slightly squeamish younger sister's reaction, she stood as the dog in 
an eerie state of decomposure wagged its tail and let out a hollow imitation of a bark. Jimena wasn't quite sure what to think. She looked at her sister for a moment and then said, Show me how it's done. They wandered the woods outside their property until they found a bird's nest that had been torn down from a tree by a fox, a weasel, who knows. And there was a small dead bird therein. And Kalita had Jimena hold the bird close to her heart, cradled in her hands, and with a strange innate ability, channeled the positive energy that is linked to the land of Arenal into the bird's body. And with lifeless eyes, it fluttered and flew away. And that was the moment that, beyond all shadow of a doubt, the decision was made in Jimena's mind that death was meant to be a permanent fixture. The feeling of a bird fluttering to life in her hands with no heartbeat, looking directly into her face with tiny, dead, beady eyes before leaving, awoke something in her that the elves of Arenal have found strange and almost shameful ever since. Jimena has, without reservation, expressed that she doesn't think death should be defied or extended, that the spirit should leave the body and be final. So this has been a source of strife between the two sisters. Um, so we've already seen some opinion expressing about how their relationship works. I kept the dog, by uh, the way. Yes, and Kalita kept the dog. Uh, so when you guys meet Kalita, there will be a skeleton dog following her around. And uh, how how do you feel about that, Jimena? Literally, it goes against everything I believe in because the dog should be dead, and it's not. And I mean, at this rate, you yeah, guys I'm are a little high strung. I'm gonna have a heart attack by the time I'm like two hundred at this point. <laughs> well, and you guys are probably in your uh, in your late nineties. Like you know, you guys are. I would you like guys to are young adult. <laughs> okay, you're you're 118. Maybe your sister is, you know, 199. Um, so you guys are young adult elves, which means this dog really should have been dead like 70 years ago. Um, so uh, go ahead and describe yourself a little, Humana. Uh, what's what's your uh, your dealio, your class, your appearance? How do you see yourself? Welcome. So I am a kind of pale, blonde, gray-eyed elf who cried out to the ethos and something made a deal with her. So I became a warlock. And I I am literally the definition of high-strung. Um, but my family is my family, and I will not, like, go against my family. Okay. Um, the in a, in a moment of Maybe weakness, maybe, you know, uh, just absolute loss. Um, you know, maybe it was a moment of family drama, you know. Um, who who knows? Um, I, I get the sense in my head that your parents probably were very, like, a very, very approving of your sister and like to, you know, flaunt her necromantic talents and, you know, make an extra effort to show the, you know, how normal that undeath was all around the house in the hopes that maybe it would, maybe it would help you 
you know, realized the beauty of death, and it in fact did quite the opposite. Um, so whatever day it was, whatever circumstances it was that caused you to just like cry out psychically, physically, emotionally, whatever, into the into the proverbial void, um, the being that answered you only presents itself as a a small flittering globe of fire. Um, you see it. Whoop! That's the coffee. Um, God, is that you? <laughs> Throwback. Yep. Was that my flittering globe of fire? Yes, yes, it speaks to you only in high, shrill beeps that you somehow understand. That's canon now. Um, <laughs> you uh, you sometimes see it in dreams. Uh, you sometimes, uh, you know, will occasionally feel its call or its pull. Sometimes if you're sitting by a campfire or in front of a fireplace, uh, you will see its face and somehow understand what it wants. It has demanded very little of you so far, but you felt a very strange pull towards the continent of Corvair. Your parents denied you the right to make the trip or passage, um, seeming to think that your disgust with death was a sign of immaturity, until they decided that your sister was going to go to Corvair and establish diplomatic connections with the Lords of Sharn, uh, the City of Towers. And uh, more importantly, the King of Breland, one of the strongest uh, nations on Corvair. Can I ask, are they sending me with wine like a proper proper diplomat? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, they're definitely sending you with wine. They're also They're also sending you uh, with your sister, um, which further irks you, Jimena, because uh, all these times that you were denied passage, and then they're just like, yeah, I guess you can tag along with your sister, who definitely gets to go. Uh, as a representative of the house, no less. They're also sending you with your older brother. His name is Arcturus, a paladin of House Galanodel, a proven warrior. He's fought with the elves of Terndal, fierce, fierce warriors who live only for battle. And at a very young age, elf-wise, um, one of the youngest in known history, in fact, has been made a deathless so you are also accompanied by the eternally spiritually bound undead form of your brother. Um, you, uh, Fuck. <laughs> you, Kalita, are totally chill with this. You and uh, you and Arcturus have always got along. Um, I, you find him to be a bit preachy, uh, a bit extreme. But uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so. Kalita is tall. I made her like six foot two. Um, dark hair. Kind of weirdly pale blue eyes. Like if you didn't know better, you might think she was blind. She is kind of hit her stride where she just does what she do. Like... Her and her sister aren't close anymore. She doesn't really rely on her family. She doesn't really have anything to do because she just kind of does what she is interested in. And then when she's bored, she drinks, she goes out, she slums it. Also, she stole a Commodore's coat while she was visiting her brother once. And she wears it proudly with her little brooch. Pinning it in the middle so that the arms are just flapping behind her. Excellent. In true anime fashion. 
going for the going for the My Chemical Romance Black Parade look. Gerardway would be proud of me. You can't uh, deny. It. I imagine that it was like a bright sea blue before, and you just like dyed it black. Was that was that painted black by the Rolling Stones? It was the one hundred percent. It was okay. Excellent. Um, so you guys have been sent. Uh, you sailed from Arenal to uh, the continent of Corvair. And, I drank uh, a third of the wine. She drank a third of the wine. You are you are the epitome of spoiled rich kid. I mean, that's some of the best best wine that money can buy. Your brother has given you several disapproving looks. Uh, you get the sense that maybe you were sent as the charisma and he was sent as the actual pact maker. Nonetheless, you guys, uh, as Metallica would say, ride the lightning uh, to Sharn, the city of towers. And after that, it is Aaron. Aaron, tell us. <laughs> I love this. Tell us what is oh, what is your name? I get an intro first. Shoot. <laughs> well, let's 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 start with your name. Uh, my name is Ed Edmund Chudwell, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a little boy. Not, in fact, a little boy at heart. Nope, just a little boy. Edmund Chudwell is the third Edmund Chudwell in his line, descendant of the legendary adventurer Edmund Chudwell I, and the riches that Edmund Chudwell I acquired on all of his adventures uh, was the founding staple of his house's wealth. You uh, you stayed behind in your family home in Carnath, uh, studying the deep arcane arts. Uh, necromancy was never quite your kick, you know, you, uh, you studied it for a little while, but you got bored... Um, you, from from what we discussed, you were kind of that uh, annoying genius kid. Like, you know, why did you decide to pick up divination? Uh, I I don't know. Just uh, trigonometric uh, summoning circles got boring for me. Let me ask you a real question. Uh, why are you practicing like learning magic? Check this out. I can just block. <laughs> Be yep. more like me and less like yourself. <laughs> So um, eventually, uh, getting bored with all of the things that everybody else was struggling with, Edmund Chudwell uh, decided to try his hand at arcane brewing. Um, and to this day, you can buy Edmund Chudwell microbrews all over the Twelve Nations. Um, can, I, can I interject? Yes. Not only can you find the Edmund Chudwell line of ales at anywhere you go, you may also frequent one of our inns or taverns along the way. Oh my god, you own a fucking hotel chain. The the real kicker here is at the height of his success, somewhere in his 40s, Edmund Chudwell's wife uh, actually caught him in one of his frequent brothel trips. Uh, she was a spellcaster of notoriety and talent herself, who specialized, unfortunately for him, in transmutation and packed magic. After a particularly bad row in which Edmund, in true fashion, insisted that he was the, uh, the, the true, the true victim here. However the fight went down, it ended. You want to tell us how it ended, Aaron? Well, it ended with her deciding that I should, uh, reflect more of the age of my maturity as she transformed me into a 14-year-old fucking child. 
and then uh, stripped me ass naked, grabbed all of my, all of the things I had on me, and tossed me into the street, claiming that I was some thief snuck into the uh, the estate. Damn! So Mrs. Chudmil- Chudwell is still Mrs. Chudwell, reaping the benefits. She is the she is the widow, Mrs. Chudwell, or legal widow, as Edmund Chudwell appeared to have left Corvair with one of his presumably many mistresses after catching him at a brothel house. God knows, she says, where he could be or what he could be up to. I don't feel bad for him, though. As you shouldn't. He's a terrible person. Well, Edmund Edmund Shudwell feels bad enough about himself for everyone. Um, So you, uh, you have gained some notoriety over the past few years as... A 14-year-old prodigy. And as such, you have received an invitation to attend Morgrave University. It's the only college you've received an invitation from, and you're trying to figure out any way to ascend back to some status in society, and especially anything similar to a noble. You can't do a whole lot without a college degree! So, um... Disagree. You could be a senior assembler. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> they won't let me. And I have a degree. They let me. I, I don't have a degree. I know. You've been there longer. It's a time thing. Been there. I've been there a long time. Too long. <laughs> too long. It's been. It's not been too long. It's been Brand a good job. Don't let me. <laughs> so, um, Edmund Shudwell, along with uh, your, your friend Tomas, it was Tomas, right? Yeah, Tomas. Uh, along with your friend Tomas, um, who who is Tomas, by the way? Talk to me a little bit about Tomas. So I think I feel like Tomas was the only person who, as shitty as it sounds, like looked up to me and like saw like my uh, like knowing my own self worth and maybe it's inflated, but he saw that as like a good character trait and latched on. And I probably used him mostly. Uh, through most of our like childhood and growing up and stuff, but I think I've known him forever, and it kind of like turned into a thing where like I depended on him to like get things done within the chain of taverns and stuff, and we just kind of actually grew as friends. And I think I see him more as an equal than a lot of other people that work for me, but still nowhere near as great as me, of course. So yeah, Tomas probably had like a hidden emergency stash of your credit vouchers then, more than likely, or managed to. Uh, what's the word? Embezzle uh, some of your hotel chain funds um, into oh, for sure. into he, credit he's vouchers. Like, allowed like on face just to come into like almost any place that I've owned because like people see him with me all the time. He's one. Of, he's like my right hand guy. So like even probably my wife or ex wife, I guess shit would be like, yeah, just come on in, and he'd probably ask her questions and stuff. But there Plot we twist. go. He's having an affair with my ex wife. Would you, <laughs> Tomas? You son of a bitch. So, would you, like, ask Tomas to come along with you as an adventuring companion, or are you kind of solo kicking it and just kind of stay in contact with Tomas? I think I would want Tomas to be with me, because he's the only person who can, A, vouch for me at all if anyone's going to even give me an ear, but also just because, like, inside, I think I'm terrified to go out there as a, as a child and, where no one's taking me seriously. So I'm just, like, kind of, like, dependent on him at this point. Nice. And especially, like, as 
an incredibly spoiled, like, rich child who basically got everything. You're just like, I don't know what it means to be a normal teenager, let alone, you know, a powerful, disenfranchised man with only the privileges of a normal teenager. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Um, For sure. Oh, I also think that in this, you said I've spent three years of doing this. Like, am I 14 14 the whole time? Like, just stuck at 14? Um, you seem to age in a fluctuating fashion. And I mean, like we discussed, you know a lot of arcane shit. But whatever your ex-wife did to you, like, you know, you waited a while for it to wear off. You thought maybe you would age rapidly out of it. Um, and you seem to kind so of it's fluctuate. Definitely a curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a legitimate curse. And you cannot figure out what, like, the only explanation you've come to is if she used something as powerful as a Sybaris dragon shard. Which, you don't know how the hell she would have gotten her hands on one. But that's that's the only explanation you can come up with. Either way, you hate her. She's a witch. She totally overreacted. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, uh, how, how, how does she get so wealthy in the first place? Not on her own damn devices. That's. <laughs> I mean, she could have, it sounds like. Oh, she definitely could have. Also, yeah, I, I just want to say, like, the way that I look, I'm very pale. Uh, about 5'4", you know, average... 14 year old like kind of lean uh but i'm wearing like just a lot of layers like probably like a petticoat or two that i've like had him get for me from like a wealth of just extra clothing i had for like selling and buying and all that oh my little man (laughs) i'm fluffy all right you're gonna be so pampered So Edmund Chudwell in the company of Tomas, his assistant hotel chain manager. Hi, I'm Tomas. I I, I run the Chudwell chains here locally. Uh, I'm here accompanying this random teenager to college. Pay no mind. I Uh, I think he probably actually runs like more of everything. Like he's probably like the businessman. Okay. Just the guy who originally was the businessman. Okay, so you're the you're the CEO who graduated to remote management. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we move finally to Eric's character. Eric, you want to give us uh, your name and race and some background? So uh, my character's name is uh, Nicodemus McElbracken. That's is, a fucking name. Uh, Dustin helped me come up with the uh, the last name. He goes by Nico. Um, he is a gnome, and he is on the, uh, as far as gnomes go, he's on the uh, scrawnier side. He uh, doesn't look like a whole lot, kind of like, imagine if Michael Cera was a gnome. It's like the most timid gnome you can find. Um, he comes from a, uh, a family that is basically... Um, married into a political um, understanding, kind of a truce, just so that there is a, you know, peace between the two nations. And uh, his stepfather is the ruler, or not the ruler, he's the commander of the cavalry, I think, that we said. I I, I want Uh, you all to to think real hard about this. Uh, His gnome stepfather is the commander of the uh, the yeah. the Breland Cavalry. Hmm? Um, so, uh, p- picture that how you will. How many times did this gnome <laughs> have to get shot? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So your uh, for for a little more more detail before you continue, um, your mother um, she was from the nation of Ondare. Um, there, that's it. Yep, that's the one. And she was married to your father, um, who has basically received an honorary honorary lordship and a place on Brelin's uh, Brelin's parliamentary council um, due to being a fucking war hero. You don't know how. Uh, but he's a very small, very big man. Um, and they were married, uh, in order to kind of secure an alliance both between the, uh, dragon marked houses in the regions and also between the regions themselves. Ander chose, if I remember right, Ander chose the side of the successor in the first war, uh, wanted to uphold Galifar's line. And Breland wanted to uphold another claimant's line. Um, and they were two of the most powerful of the five nations. So as such, there was a lot of bloodshed. Um, and Ander and Breland have a very tense relationship. So your parents was only one of a lot of arranged, strategically arranged marriages. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like they were the only ones. But um, Nico has uh, no love of his stepfather. I mean, he, he wants to impress him and make him seem like, uh, or make him understand that Nico is more than just the uh, stepchild that's just there. He, he really strives for that, so he he wants to do everything he can to impress upon his father, or his stepfather. And uh, along that narrative line, you want to tell us about your sister? Yes, so uh, his sister, who I have just decided that we're going to name Camilla, okay. is basically the exact opposite of what Nico is. Uh, she's very confident, outgoing, um, very impressive, uh, super strong. Like anything that she attempts, she's automatically successful at. Azula. Basically, yeah, basically Azula. Excellent. Or uh, yeah, Azula. Camilla in uh, the Good Place. If anyone's watched that, I still haven't. I'm sorry. Oh my god, you're missing out. It's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. There's this sibling rivalry, and he does not get along with her, mostly because she is the um, his half sister. So she's actually Lord MacElbracken's daughter, and she was she's she's your younger sister. I pictured because she's like your stepdad and your mom's trueborn kid, right? Exactly. Okay. Your father, and I guess we'll do we'll do a little uh, a little role play here. Um, since we're, we're about to enter the, the actual campaign, so we'll get warmed up. Um, your father has called you to uh, his study. Uh, his study, quote-unquote, is an enormous, like, vaulted hall. Uh, there's stained glass windows on either side. He does have an enormous wooden desk uh, that's kind of more like a, like a you know, war table. Uh, set up at one end of the room. There's enormous uh, banners, uh, both of the nation of Breland, um, one or two of the nation of Ondare, and several of the uh, the Breland uh, First Cavalry uh, hanging all over the hall. Uh, the afternoon light is filtering through these stained glass windows, throwing a, a myriad of colors onto the floor, and your father is standing 
at the far end uh, of the hall uh, with his arms crossed behind his back, kind of pacing back and forth as he usually does with a board-like upright military stature and uh, toy soldier legs chugging back and forth. Uh, so I'm guessing you you approach him or do you just like shout at him from the door? Uh, no, I, I would approach him and um, very timidly kind of... Uh come up to him and say, you, you, uh, you summoned me, my lord? Oh, and, uh, before, before we get into this, um, we didn't talk about your class. Uh, what's, what's your class? Um, so, Nico is an artificer. So, artificers are really good at, uh, infusing mundane non-magical items with magic. And I've taken the artillerist's, uh, specialization and I actually had a thing for it so um, he has this uh, this little clockwork looking um, construct that uh, kind of looks like this thing you sending it, it to the chat to, oh that's, yeah, fucking, it, that's yeah. fucking cool so it kind of looks like that if anyone's played Pokemon it kind of looks like a Dupider but it kind of just like hangs out on his person it's probably about the size of uh, his fist so it's not huge but it uh, it kind of just hangs out with him and what he can do with it is uh, transform it back and forth between different um, little turrets essentially Excellent, and your um your your personality type as far as that goes, like the reason you're an artificer is because you're kind of like a you're like a nerd tinkerer basically. So gnomes tend towards the tinkerer side, where his uh, his stepfather is more on the uh, warring side and the uh, the physical side. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he decided that he was going to use his intelligence to help him fight because he knew that his. Uh, his body type and his size weren't going to do it for him. All so right. he decided to use brains to help him fight and, you know, a place for himself in the world. So uh, you approach your father and uh, say what you said, and he uh, he turns around. Uh, yes, my boy. Come in. Come in. And he kind of uh, straightens himself up. He's got his, uh, you know, red military jacket on, his uh, gray hair. Picture, if you will, like the strong square head and jaw of like um an older Henry Cavill like Superman um but as far as aesthetic and hair and mustache uh uh, picture the Lord of Wesselton from Frozen Mm. um so he's got like you know he's he's got a barrel chest and a very strong jawline and a square set face but he's got the spectacles and like the thinning gray hair combed backwards and like the long gray mustache that kind of blends down to his chin he uh, he turns around oh, yes my boy well uh your uh, your mother sent you here for me i'm assuming yes uh y- yeah yes uh, she said that you wanted to see me Yes, uh, good, 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 yes. Well, um, as, uh, as you know, we've, uh, we've had our, our differences as far as, um, you know, as far as our, our, our bent, um, hold on, I'm, I'm losing composure over this, give me just, uh, just a moment. <clears throat> we both know that you're not the strongest boy, son, and, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've tried our best, uh, to, you know, to do some training and, uh, exercises. 
And I'm I'm sure you remember how well those went. And he kind of Yeah, it didn't go very well. He he kind of gives a half-hearted chuckle. Um I I I do want you to know that I've noticed your talent uh for for tinkering. And uh I I do have to say I uh he hesitates for a second. I do have a a level of admiration uh for uh the way your brain works. You've got a you've got a good mind. And he like nods real fiercely and looks at the floor. Yes, good good mind. As uh, as such your mother and I and yes, it was your mother and and I, we talked about it at length, uh, are sending you to Morgrave University. Uh, I, I, I think you'll feel a lot more at home there. Uh, I know things with you and your sister have been a bit tense, and, uh, you know, things things feel strange here. And um, I, I feel like you'll feel a lot better surrounded by other... He kind of hesitates a second... Uh, intellectuals. Uh, what what have you to say to that? You do you not think that I can be trained here. Well, uh, it's it's not that you can't be trained trained here. Uh, it's look. I'll be honest, son. I've I've got a brilliant mind for tactics. I mean, you've seen my, my medals, and I've I've talked about it at length. I don't. I don't have the the math, the the engineering. I I know you're not thriving, okay, and I don't I don't want you to feel like you're a, a disappointment to me. I mean, obviously you haven't you know quite come up all heads on the you know combat training and things like that. I'm this household isn't quite equipped for someone of your intellectual strength, and uh, to be perfectly frank, we've uh had to pay quite a bit for the uh the the loss of uh windows and walls and such during your uh, earlier experiment with the uh, what uh, the thing the, the what, what what do you call it his his name's do i uh do yeah uh your mother and i feel like you'd you'd be thriving better in an environment where they're equipped to deal with things like that uh you know they're they're all about Magic and you know exploring the boundaries of things. House House Kenneth, the the house of making. Uh, their 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 entire dragon mark is about you know making things and tinkering and inventing and uh, they they have a very strong presence uh, both at Morgrave University and in the city of Sharn. Uh, so I we we felt like this would be a a great opportunity for you. If that's what you think is best, I that's uh, that's what we think is best. And uh, at this point, the door behind you opens and your mother walks in. Um, and he's going to kind of uh, nod and, like, purse his lips. And, uh, uh, well, I'll uh, let you talk to your uh, your mother. Uh, <clears throat> he kind of clears his throat and awkwardly walks past you and, like, reaches out and pats you on the shoulder, you know, with his big calloused hand. Um, mm. And, it, you know, he's the, he's the classic hyper-masculine trying to be good, but he can't really show affection type. Um, and then just puts his hands back behind his back and military struts uh, off to a different room. So uh, your 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 mother approaches you. He'll look up at her and say, D- "Did I do something wrong?" No, no, sweetheart, you didn't. You didn't do nothing wrong. All right, I want you to look at me. All right. 
I know you want your stepfather's approval. I trust me, I feel it. I understand sometimes I feel like he doesn't approve of me either. It's the way he is. I it's different when he's talking to me and he does have your best interests in mind. And um you know, I can't you know I love you and you know I love your sister. But I can't keep watching you two go at it like you do. I mean, she makes you feel terrible. I love her to death, but she's got a lot of learning to do about how to be a proper human. And, um... It's... I know you don't agree with her, and I know she makes you feel terrible. Because, uh, you know, she's a little better at the things that you're trying to be good at for your stepfather's sake. And, um, I just... I know you really don't want to leave, and it's a pride thing. You've got a lot of my pride in you, but... I, you're not happy here, are you? I guess not. Margrave, Margrave University is a great place. And I mean, it's right here close to home. I mean, Rote is just a jump down the lightning rail. So, uh, Rote, by the way, W-R-O-A-T is the, is the city that uh, your stepfather's house is in. And now your house as well. So, what what do you see? I mean, I think I think it'd be a lot better for you. And honestly, I think you could learn more there and come back. And if you're still worried about making your stepdad proud, I mean, I've I've seen the things you can do. He's he's great at charging, but uh, <laughs> I can say from sitting in on some of the war games he plays with the other old generals, his uh, battlefield control's not his specialty. He's not very inventive. You are. if I don't like it there well then you're more than welcome to come back home it's not like we're sending you away it's not you know birding school for nutty boys who don't have big enough muscles it's 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 an opportunity for you and I think some space would probably be good for you worry about yourself instead of what your sister and your stepfather and whoever else thinks of you Uh, he'll kind of like look at the floor and then he'll look up at her and say okay I'll, I'll give it a shot Aww. so she's gonna she she gives you a big old hug and you know kind of does the hands on the side of the cheeks things and she goes well we've got you a ticket already I figured if you turned it down absolutely we could just you know hold on to it and send your sister on a day trip or something but we've uh we've got you set up to to head out tomorrow we've we've already got you a spot reserved uh, all you'll have to do is attend the initiation, graduation, showcase, event thing uh, that your dungeon master just made up on the spot a little bit ago, and um, <laughs> and uh, you'll you'll be good to go. Uh, I've already got you a dormitory all squared away, and uh, I've I pulled strings with a couple of the professors with uh, ties to my house uh, to let you have access to a laboratory that you can use. So you'll you'll be all set up to go. I love you. Sniff. And so uh, the next day, you set out on the lightning rail for a quick jaunt down to the city of Sharn. And we skip forward a little bit. And all of you, in your own ways and fashions and by whatever devices available to you, have arrived in Sharn, the city of Towers. And to describe the majesty of Sharn, it is not an exactly a good place for building. 
On one side, it is built right up against the bluffs that lead straight out to the sea. Uh, beyond it, there's um, a small mountain range with a raging river valley uh, that kind of uh, cuts it off from a lot of easy mainland travel. <clears throat> so with not a lot of room to grow outward, Sharn instead grew upward. They built it up and up and up to impossible heights and impossible depths. Um, nobody knows how far the city of Sharn, um, which the bases and underground parts of which extend to the pre-Galifar era, before the kingdom that was torn apart by the last war was ever established. Nobody knows how far it goes underground, and you can watch the architecture change from ancient, you know, worn away, almost indecipherable architecture on a good portion of the bottom floors to uh, stocky, kind of brutish goblin architecture from when the goblin kingdoms of Dakani ruled this land before King Galifar uh, established the first Corvarian kingdom. Um, and ever since then, you can watch, like, tears. Every generation, every advance in technology and magic, every bit of society that has come through Sharn has built it upwards. And when you're standing on the lowest floors, I guess, on the lowest levels of Sharn, there's barely sunlight filtering through. It's in a constant state of twilight because it's coming past countless towers. The central tower in the city of Sharn where... The, uh, the city magistrates and the richest and the highest members of the dragon-marked houses all live towers 18 stories, 18 full stories above the ground. And at each level, there's intervals of um, platforms and walkways and uh, latticework gratings that form essentially multiple ground levels of shard. In one of these towers uh, is housed... Morgrave University. And uh, nearby it, there is a large um, a stadium-sized amphitheater, basically, um, in which the initiations and um, <clears throat> graduations take place. You guys watch a long procession of graduates come through and, you know, get their, their honors and hear their schools and whatnot. And uh, what you find, Torbjorn, and what you are also very interested in uh, oh, Nero, yeah. Uh, actually, all of you would find some point of interest in this. There is also an opportunity after the university initiation, which is basically uh, your name is called from the list of people whose letters got returned. Um, and if you come down, they shake your hand and welcome you to the university. But afterwards, there is a ceremony of patronage. Um, so members of each of the dragon-marked houses come up and announce the uh, principles of their house. These are things that most of you, or all of you, really would already know. Um, but they come up, announce their house, um, announce the uh, specialties of their house, and state that anyone wishing to gain patronage could come talk to them uh, personally. Each of them takes up a station in part of the bottom, you know, football stadium-sized dome of this amphitheater for people to meet with them and demonstrate their talents. Are we boothing? You're basically boothing. Thank you for listening to Quarantine Quest, City of Towers. The cast of Quarantine Quest is Eric DeMaio, Chuck Welker, Aaron Deaton, Oren Brown, K. 
Kara Schmidt, and Mary Emmert. Dungeon Master is Dustin Sipes. Quarantine Quest is a production of Too Many Worlds Podcast Network. All audio editing and mastering performed by Dustin Sipes. Background Ambience is from TabletopAudio.com. Original intro and outro music by J. Karsten Neal. And as always, may all of your adventures be epic, and none of your treasure chests be mimics. <laughs>